So uh, thanks very much to Allison uh, for the invitation to come and speak. I hope everything is uh, going well with uh, the delivery of her child. Um, so as uh, was briefly mentioned by our, um, our, our chair, uh, I'm a philosopher by training. Uh, so that means we don't tend to measure very much. Uh, we tend to opine from on high and tell other people uh, what to measure um, and worry darkly when we see them measuring the wrong things. So um, I, I won't disappoint. That's uh, roughly the role that I uh, see myself as, uh, as having within this panel. But I'll try to say something a little bit more uh, precise. Basically, I see uh, two problems uh, in the whole question of the measurement uh, of the health of uh, uh, democracies. Um, one is that um, sometimes the health of democracies, as revealed by the best theories that we have about uh, best normative theories of democracy, uh, the, the, the best indices are actually kind of hard to measure, and I'll give an example of that. Um, and the second problem is that, um, you know, I said it in my sort of joking, wasn't a great joke since nobody laughed, uh, introduction that, um, you know, we tell you what to measure. In fact, you know, if you listen to uh, six uh, uh, theorists of democracy, you'll get seven conceptions about what it is that you should measure. So we're in a state of permanent disagreement. We actually put ourselves out of work. They close down departments of philosophy when too much agreement occurs. And so the thought that you will ever get anything like a clear picture or a consensual picture about what it is that you should measure in order to um, gauge the health of democracies is an illusory one, and therefore we should figure out what to do in the absence of that consensus. Uh, so I'll start with the first of the two uh, points and start it with a, an example, which is actually one that is of great concern to me uh, these days as a normative political uh, theorist. And it has to do with uh, the fate of uh, political parties in, uh, in, our, in our democracies. So um, those of you who know a little bit about uh, democratic uh, theory know that for a long time in the 20th century, it's operated at a very, very high level of abstraction. Uh, people have tended, to the extent that they've been uh, sort of institutionally specific, they've tend to, tended to compare democracies in ways that I consider to be quite unhelpful to things like juries. And they ask themselves, are democracies more or less likely to get it right? And they would then repair to things like Condorcet's jury theorem from the 18th century uh, to try to figure out whether democracy, as opposed to something like uh, you know, an aristocracy of experts, an epistocracy, would be better at getting it right. So this is unhelpful for all sorts of ways, primarily because our democracies are much more institutionally complex than uh, simply people sitting around a room with a distinct, discrete policy problem trying to figure out whether to go for policy A, policy B, or policy C. Um, and actually, if the Condorcet jury theorem were adhered to, it, only, it would be only policy A or policy B. The whole theorem breaks down once the choice field is more complex than that. But that's not the point that I want to uh, make. So there's been a bit of a change in the way in which democratic theorists have been thinking these last few years, which I think has been quite helpful, which has been thinking about what I call, uh, in a project that I'm working on now, the political philosophy of uh, really existing democracies. Uh, the reference to really existing socialism is one that some of you might uh, catch. And the idea is to look at the particular ways in which democracies have been institutionalized in places that claim to be uh, democracies, and to think about the institutions that have been put in place in order to realize democracy. One of the institutions that has been gaining uh, a lot of attention amongst political philosophers in the last few years, those of you who aren't political philosophers would be surprised that it hasn't gotten more attention in previous years, is the institution of the political party, the much maligned uh, political party. And um, there's an argument, which I am actually very sympathetic to, which basically says the following thing. Political parties 
in a lot of uh, mass democracies today, including the United States, including Canada, are eroding. And they're eroding in ways that are uh, sometimes difficult to see. They're eroding despite the fact that they are actually sometimes increasing in membership. So an example is worth uh, you know a thousand, a thousand words. Uh, we're having one of the three political parties here is having a, a race right now for the leadership. Uh, membership today basically means that until the date of, I think it was about 10 days ago, you got to go online, pay $15, and become a member of the political party which entitled you uh, to cast a vote for uh, the leadership of that uh, party. Now, it didn't used to be that way. People who are uh, old enough remember the days in which um, uh, political parties used to pick their political leaders not through a process that is akin to liking on Facebook, plus $15, but rather uh, when uh, riding associations would send delegates to conventions where people would smoke and uh, smoke-filled rooms would uh, give rise to the smoking bit of it. We can, you know, that I think it's a game that we don't do that anymore. But these smoke-filled rooms would give rise to a result sometimes after multiple ballots, people trading votes against one another, uh, making promises and counter-promises to one another, and a Leader would uh, arise. What's going to happen now uh, in and you know, the party that I'm talking about, the NDP, is doing something that's very similar to the other parties, is that people are going to vote and a computer will take, will take care of distributing the vote amongst the four candidates, and at some point we'll get a result. This is the way the Conservatives elected their leader, and um, I think Justin Trudeau has actually done away with even the $15, the sort of monetary uh, condition for joining. Now, some people might say, this is a great thing. We're democratizing, we're opening up political parties to more members, we're, uh, we're eliminating the... Uh, the, the barrier, the financial barrier to people being able to join, the practical barrier to people being able to participate. Anybody with a computer screen and an internet connection can participate in this faith, faithful choice of picking a leader and thereby picking a policy platform that the leader will uh, then try to, uh, to, to enact. Now, a lot of people have worried that this kind of opening up of political parties has actually been part and parcel with a process uh, that we have been sort of referring to very broadly as the rise of populism. Uh, and the basic idea is this. There are a lot of ideas, but I'll just express one. Political parties are, amongst other things, imperfect, but tolerably well-functioning deliberative fora. They are, especially in big tent party-like systems like Canada and the United States, places where people with quite different political conceptions come together to try to hammer out a set of proposals to the basic policy problems facing uh, the polity, making compromises, uh, sort of uh, trading off uh, sort of aspects of their preferred policies against one another, arriving at a common platform, electing a leader who is somehow the reflection of those uh, compromises, you lose um, when you open up the political party in the way that you have that aspect of the party as a deliberative fora for the making of uh, compromises leading to uh, policy uh, platforms. And you create a new relationship without realizing it between the leader and the party. The leader is not someone who is in a way beholden to a deliberative process. He or she is beholden in a much more sort of ethereal and vague way to a kind of a mass party. And he or she, as has been the case, in Britain with um, the leader of the Labour Party, as has been the case in, now I don't want to make any sort of qualitative comparison between these, I'm just sort of pointing to broad phenomena, as has been the case with the President of the United States, uh, as arguably is the case with some of our leaders, is able to speak above and beyond over the sort of political party, uh, as we used to think of it, to the uh, base. Um, and this gives rise to a number of problematic um, sort of political phenomena that we have tended to encapsulate, helpfully or unhelpfully, under the rubric of populism. Um, now, 
if you follow that story, and I, with you know, modifications and, and details that I can't go into in the few minutes that I have, tend to think that it is actually uh, sort of part of a, 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 a good diagnosis of what's been going on. Um, how do you quantify, how do you measure the health of a democracy? Well, the growth of a party, the extent to which it's able to recruit members, is something that is easily quantifiable and therefore easily measurable. The degree to which a party functions in the way that I described before as a kind of a deliberative forum uh, is more difficult to, uh, to quantify. Now, there's a temptation which I would obviously uh, be very tempted by uh, were I a quantitative um, you know, political uh, scientist, which I'm not, to think that that which is easily measurable, or that which is readily measurable, maybe not easily measurable, points us in the direction of the sort of the indices of health that we're trying to get at. But in a case like this one, I think that, you know, to use a distinction which is probably a little bit simplistic, what we're looking at uh, is not so much the quantity of participation as measured, say, by the number of members that is generated by, uh, you know, uh, Jagmeet Singh is probably going to sign up 20 or 30,000 new members for the NDP, but the quality of participation, something about the way in which people participate together uh, in the deliberative forum that the political party used to represent. And how do you get at that? Uh, through uh, sort of techniques of measurement. I'm not saying it's impossible, I'm saying it's difficult, it's something that needs to be attended to. And there's probably, if you were to follow the work of political theorists, um, looking at normative aspects of democracy, uh, a lot of points at which um, what seems to be the right in the index of quality or of health of democracy is the thing that is less readily rather than more readily quantifiable. So that's the first point that I want to make. Um, you know, we, we find ourselves sometimes, um, you know, like the guy in the joke about, uh, you know, looking underneath the, you know, the joke. Uh, okay, uh, I'll tell the joke at the coffee uh, break for those of you. Ben was nodding because everybody knows the joke. It has a name, right? Lamp poster. No, it's got somebody's name. Anyway, so that's the first point I wanted to make. Um, you know, beware. Let's be let's be let's be careful to make sure that we are measuring the right things, even when the things that we need to measure are difficult to measure. Um, and I'm not sure, on the face of it, how you would go about measuring, for example, the quality of party uh, sort of deliberation that I think is actually an important part of a healthy democracy. That's the first point I wanted to make. The second point, for which I have two minutes, is actually, luckily, the much easier point to make, um, which is that, and I mentioned it at the beginning, uh, political philosophers uh, disagree about what a healthy democracy uh, is, and part of the business of political philosophy is to disagree, and I'm not trying to be sort of cheap about this, I think that we do our job well when we point to different aspects of the democratic process as ones which people on the other side of certain debates tended to have soft uh, you know, tended to have played down because uh, they were sort of focusing on some other uh, aspect. So is the point of democracy to give right to the rise to the best an answers to policy problems, a la Condorcet jury theorem? Or is it to embody certain values like equality, independent of the quality of the results that the process gives rise to. That's a debate which we've had since you know, we've been talking about democracy uh, and which we continue to have uh, today, and there are others uh, of that kind uh, as well. And we will never close the debate and arrive at exactly the right sort of balancing between all of these uh, various values. So what do you do when you have different um, political theorists telling you to diff measure different things? I think two things, and I'm going to end with this. The first thing is, um, I think that people who do empirical political science in which they measure things 
have to be perhaps more sensitive than they might be. Uh, perhaps they are, but if they are, that's a good thing. To the normative assumptions that they're bringing along with them when they decide to measure certain things as indicators of the health of democracy rather than others. What is being presupposed by the idea of measuring this rather than that, other than the fact that this is all the way that we've already always done it, and by continuing to do it, we achieve some kind of comparability? What is the political theory that best accounts for the set of indicators that I, as an empirical political scientist, have chosen to uh, enact? But I would say we should go beyond that. And here I sort of ex extend my hand, dramatic gesture, uh, to, <laughs> I think that we should go beyond that because uh, I think that empirical political scientists, to the extent that our evaluations as political philosophers depend ultimately upon empirical facts about you know, what happens when different views of democracy are actually put into place, I think that we should be combining together, not just in sort of looking at what the normative political theories are that are presupposed by our indicators, but arguing together for the best conception and deciding on what the best indicators are given that conception uh, together, uh, rather than uh, having a kind of a division of labor where we do one thing, you guys do another, and we sort of meet uh, when the job has already been done on both sides. I think that uh, getting the normative and empirical sides of the equation together uh, sort of earlier in the game would be a very good thing for all concerned. Thank you. Thank you.